0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On Air. Welcome to History Worth Repeating. L.P. Hartley wrote that the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. My name is Barbara Brooks, and I'm a Professor Emerita from the University of Otago.
1: And my name is Sonia Tiernan, and I'm the Eamon Cleary Professor of Irish Studies at the University of Otago. Together, over this series of podcasts, we want to canvas wide aspects of the past, from individual stories to national histories, from political events to emotional tides.
0: We believe that some history is worth repeating, especially if those histories have been previously overlooked, ignored, or not deemed worthy of entry into the history books. It's our great pleasure today to have Dr. Jane Malthus with us, and Jane has spent a lifetime of research on dress and fashion, and this actually is a subject which is hidden from history. Mm. Not many history books tell us about what people wore, how they washed their clothing, how Mm. they sewed it, uh, or where they bought it. So, um, we're delighted to have you with us, Jane, and we'd like to know about your own initial research on colonial fashions for your PhD. Tell us about how you went about your research.
2: Well, I um, came to history, dress history, with a background in clothing and textile sciences. So I did a home science degree originally, and that included quite a lot of hands-on actual sewing um, to a kind of couture level because my teachers had trained um, at that couture level in France uh, or England Um, so I was really interested in what the clothes themselves could tell us about the makers the wearers Um, so when I came to look at 19th century dress I wanted to include material culture, the garments themselves in museum collections so I Ended up um, being able to study over 160 dresses in museum collections around the country, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, and they ranged over a period from the 1830s through to um, just after 1900. Uh, And from that, so I was looking in the garments at a whole lot of things. I had a whole lot of characteristics that I was investigating, like colour and fabric and the size and the shape of them, the design of them, the way they were made. I mean, I looked at every single seam, how they were stitched, were they by machine or hand-stitched, how the seams were finished, all of those kinds of characteristics. Um, And it, it was really interesting in terms that I mean one of the things I found was that there was a remarkable consistency, whether they were sewn by hand or by machine, and that changed of course once sewing machines um, came on the scene in the, particularly in the after the 1860s, sorry, after the eighteen fifties, into the eighteen sixties. Uh there was a remarkable consistency in the way they were sewn. So there was clearly knowledge that was spread about you know how to sew particular seams how to sew the armhole seam for example uh, with a piping usually that strengthened the seam um, even if the armhole seam was in different places yeah, around the arm like lower on the arm or higher on the arm uh, so that I found really interesting uh, I also of course looked at lots of written sources and I was interested particularly in dressmakers and how how they obtained their knowledge, how they worked, where they worked, um, those kinds of things.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it's such a fascinating area. And just listening to your talk as well, you think, what are the future historians going to be looking at when you think of like mass produced? Well, exactly. You know, fashion uh, yes. that is so different because, you're, you know, when you describe it, I think of all these bespoke kind of um items and it, it, we also think as well around this time that you're talking about from those kind of mid1800s as we know like there's a huge influx of of uh, settlers into New Zealand which continues and of course has mm. continued until now um thankfully so um <laughs> how does how do settlers influence the the fashion that happens in New Zealand do they bring their own kind of ideas of fashions or different cultural Kind of ideas?
2: Well, of course, they do bring those. um, But in my. um, What I found, anyway, in the 19th century was that those ideas, I mean, for instance, Scots people may well have brought ideas about tartan, which of mm. course were quite, in a way quite new right. when they were coming um, that idea of tartans belonging to a particular clan as a 19th century um, construction mm. um, so they may have brought those and of course those have become embedded in our culture now with all those highland dancers and pipe bands and things wearing you know, what they think of as particular clan tartans Um Uh, And they brought things like Paisley shawls, um, shawls from Paisley, which were copies of Indian and Kashmiri um, designs that were being made in Scotland at the time. Um, And um, Irish people may well have brought ideas. They certainly brought lace-making techniques with them. Right, Um, Mm. Laces like Carrick McCross, for example, which isn't really a true lace, but... Never mind. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an embroidered, um, layered uh, fabric construction. Um, but uh, what I found was that convention and etiquette and propriety about what to wear when, um, uh, what was fashionable, um, overrode all of that, it seems to me, that there was, um, certainly in the in the garments that I looked at in museum collections, a remarkable consistency of style uh, Mm -hmm. and shape. It changed over time, obviously, but um, it seems like unless there was a a large number of people congregating in one place from a particular part of the world... Right. ..then um, those local traditions and ideas, cultural ideas, were... um, Kind of ground down or, mm. or um, overrun by. Um,
0: mm. It's interesting isn't it, that that fashion overrode, you know, what was what was considered to be the height of fashion. Yeah, overrides yeah. those um, yeah traditions from mm. home. Mm. It's more uh, important to be fashionable.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes, or it's more important to be. Um, Conforming to some yes. standard, yeah, yeah. if that is fashion. I mean, yeah. the dress reformers, for instance, who tried to um, change style, you know, and went as far as wearing knickerbockers on their bicycles and so on. Mm. I mean, they were completely ridiculed in the streets, mm. uh, not only in New Zealand, but in other places too, but mm. certainly that happened in New Zealand. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of peer pressure, yeah. Um to, yeah, to conform to some standard. Yeah,
1: it's that kind of, we spoke about these kind of ideas before as well about like how people would stand out and they didn't really want to stand mm. out as, as immigrants coming over. Mm. And you can actually, what you're talking yeah. about is it's probably even more evident with the Irish who go to America, for instance, like there's yeah. images of them arriving in these like shawls and this, and they have to just get rid of yes. what they've arrived yes. in essentially and conform to the new clothing. Or exactly. They just don't fit in. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean,
2: I think, I guess, there's always that element of wanting to fit in. Yeah. Um, uh, but of course, some cultural. St- I mean, you can think of cultural standards now that are um, that are stronger than that. And of course, fashion has moved on yeah. to be a much more pluralistic kind of a thing, anyway. Mm. Not
0: so much for blokes, I don't think. though. don't. You know, oh, oh, no, you know maybe not. it's harder yeah. for yes. men to wear skirts. Yes, mm. true. You know, yes. the, the pressure on men to conform. Mm is mm. greater.
1: Mm. Isn't it? What about mm. the Scottish kilt though? Would that oh, have had yeah. like an impact here, I wonder? Well well because uh, and then you, you kind of think with the with with um kind of Maori traditional yeah. clothing as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like both the Scottish and, and traditional Maori clothing yeah. is something quite different mm. and mm. much more kind of open for men, mm. I think actually mm. isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
2: But Maori are an interesting case. I mean because once missionaries arrived, um, they put a lot of pressure on Maori to wear European-style clothing and, um, you know, to conform to some kind of Christian ideal of covering Mm. the body. Uh, So, yeah, it's... yeah. I mean, now, of course, there's a great deal of pride in terms of Maori dress and wearing Mm. cloaks and things, but usually Mm. over Western-style clothing, Mm. except for kapahaka and, Mm. yeah, performing.
0: So if we move into the... Twentieth century, um, who were the first New Zealand fashion designers, or who who might we recognise
2: as the? A- well, <laughs> it's interesting because fashion is a pretty, a sort of strange concept in a New Zealand New Zealand sense when you're talking about um, European style dress, because all of our fashion was and maybe still is not altogether, but driven by what's happening in fashionable Europe. So um, the centres of Paris and London and Milan, for example, tend to drive the whole of the fashion industry. Um, And certainly, um, if you're thinking back to who might have been the first New Zealand designers, um, it's hard to pinpoint a time when that shifted from uh, the European centres ideas to something that is um, exactly New Zealand. Uh, So I find that quite difficult to um, think about. Um, The other thing that um, is problematic is that there's no, there was no, easily accessible um, history of New Zealand fashion. So um, commentators and journalists are are in the dark, or were in the dark, uh, about what had come before their time. Mm -hmm. So if for yeah. instance, in 1999, four fashion designers showed at London, New Zealand fashion designers showed at London Fashion Week, Karen Walker, um, Liz Finlay of Zambezi, Margie Robertson with Nomdi and Frances Hooper and Denise Lestrange-Corbet of World. And that was um, hailed as sort of the beginning of New Zealand fashion. But, you know, none of those people mentioned, for instance, that Kevin Bacan had taken New Zealand fashion to the world, as it were, to the USA and to London in 1971, mm. and neither did they mention designers like Flora McKenzie or Rosemary Mueller, Bruce Pappas or Colin Cole in the 1950s. Oh, yes. You know, because yeah, yeah. they just didn't know. No, there wasn't yeah. enough information. information. Yeah,
0: mm. so Flora no. McKenzie so interesting because Flora McKenzie, Sonia may not know this, is, is New Zealand's most famous madam. Yeah. Oh, and um, no, I've but never heard of no, her, no, but before that, she ran a very upmarket yeah. boutique yeah. Yeah. In, in, in Auckland. And before
1: she, she became a mother. yeah, oh. yeah,
0: and she made these exquisite mm. gowns. And what was the choice of career change? Did it not
1: work or something? <laughs> well, she
0: wasn't successful. Well, I think, I mean, this is a bit of an aside, but during the, during the second world war, oh. um, she had she lived in an apartment building. She might have owned it. Her father was quite wealthy.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, the young women downstairs, she thought they were secretaries or something, but it turned out they were on the game. Yeah. And she thought, oh, well, that seems <laughs> pretty good. And so she encouraged it. And, right. You know, she's very mm. sort of, yeah. she thought women should have equal access right. to sex if
2: they wanted. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Anyway, okay. that's an aside. That's, yeah, that's another episode <laughs> entirely. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what's interesting in relation to fashion is that now we do have some more information. We have Lucy Hammond's Douglas Lloyd Jenkins and Claire Renault's book, The Dress Circle, for example, which nice. um, certainly from the 1940s onwards gives us a great idea of what happened in New Zealand fashion. And we have the New Zealand Fashion Museum website, which is all the time adding to its archive of um, fashion history that uh, relates specifically to New Zealand. Um, the dress circles authors did point out the lack of archives in New Zealand yeah. for mm. all of this. Um, museums and libraries haven't kept um, the records of dressmakers and dress designers, for example, uh, and neither have the dress designers themselves, to be f- mm. fair. Mm. They're not, they haven't necessarily been very good at keeping their own archives. I think people are mm. getting better um, at keeping representative samples of their garments, for example, um, and museums are getting better now at um, trying to find those garments from the and past. They're always popular them. in museums, they? Yeah, okay. they are. fashion exhibits. Absolutely, yeah. They're hugely popular mm. Um, mm. exhibitions when they're held. They're quite expensive to mount, of course, so mm. there aren't. That many of them,
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. And when you think about like what you can learn from fashion, it's not even. I think that's why they're so popular. It's not even just kind of the look, or what, you know, it's. You. Find, I remember going to an exhibition where I saw Henry um, this Henry the, Henry the Eight's uh, costume and realizing he was so much smaller than I thought he was, you know, because like things like this that you're thinking, you know, or even the idea of how do people actually move around or do Mm. certain jobs Mm. wearing Mm. these particular Mm. clothes. Mm. Um, So you've mentioned a number of. New Zealand uh, fashion designers there. What what about, uh, and of course I'm going to say that I'm interested in Rosaria Hall because Mm. she moved directly from Ireland from Mm. Banshee Bay in Cork over to New Zealand. So can you tell us something about um, Rosaria Hall and what her influence might have been on New Zealand fashion? Well, she didn't move directly, if I just start with that, because...
2: I think when she was around 16, um, she went to England. Her uh, mother had died, and um, there was some discussion in the family about where she and her sister would go, the youngest ones, I think. Um, They were going to go to the aunt in the States, but um, they ended up instead going to the aunt in London. And Mm -hmm. that was fantastic from Rosaria's point of view because she was always interested in dress and clothes and fashion, Her mother was a dress designer, uh, dressmaker, and so she spent a lot of time helping her and remaking old garments and things. Anyway, she got um, a job eventually in London at Miss Selfridges in Knightsbridge, Mm -hmm. which was the part of Selfridges aimed at young people, uh, and she ran the designer floor there. For quite a few years, I think um, So she got exposed to that yeah. whole London, swinging London scene of fashion So she was in her element um, So when she came to New Zealand in 1970 She came to Christchurch with her husband, who was a New Zealander And Christchurch, of course, was fairly dead from a fashion <laughs> point of view Christ. at that point um, and the only job that she could get was pretty lowly paid. She thought so. She thought, well, I might as well just start a shop of my own. Um, Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, she'd always made her own clothes anyway. So she was. Um, she and her husband, he he had had experience um, in the rec- music industry in London. So he was. Really, he had a great collection of records. So he opened um, in one part of the shop a secondhand music record store Mm. and she opened this boutique the whole thing was called Renaissance and um, she made clothes uh, the space that they got which was either in Colombo Street or Victoria Street or maybe the street that the town hall is now and it's all a bit vague different sources have Mm. um Different addresses for this place, but anyway, it had it was due for demolition for the town hall build um, at the time, so they didn't have it for all that long but um, it became a huge sort of draw it card was for the
0: very cool, yeah 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 well, you went out I, I went there okay yeah. Oh, it, oh, yeah it
2: became a great draw card for the young people of Christchurch um, dresses, yeah, lots of hippie hippie style clothes, of course that hippie. The hippie movement really was a bit of a game changer as far as fashion was concerned Um, because it was young people making clothes that they wanted to wear themselves. Mm. Um, I remember, for example, going to Auckland in the late 1960s. I think it was 1967 or 68. um, And that was just when all these boutiques were starting up there. Young people finding spaces in the basements of buildings, painting them black. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> burning incense. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely burning incense. Oh, that's and right. I remember the clothes. smell of renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Making clothes in the corner with their, you know, trusty old sewing machines, yeah. um, sticking them on... Ra- and they were terribly made clothes, actually, but they weren't meant to last. They were just for wearing, you know, this Saturday night or that Saturday right. night and then, you know, moving on to something else. Yeah. But, you know, all those granny prints and those sorts of things. So Rosaria was definitely part of that movement, okay. which hadn't quite got to Christchurch by the time she did.
0: Would, mm. would do, you, do you think she herself sees anything about Irishness in her clothing? or?
2: Mm. Mm. Uh, good point. I've been thinking about that, and I'm not entirely sure – um again it's about uh, that international thing yes, of fashion
0: I suppose. It is
2: really. Um yeah. and and she was really caught up I guess in what was happening with um young people and that whole youth movement mm. in London. I mean London had become the center of fashion for young people mm. when she was there so mm. she was just in the right place at the right time for all of that. Um and maybe if she'd stayed in County Cork mm. you know that wouldn't have happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe she wouldn't have shaken but, up the fashion in County Cork. Yeah, she probably would have. Yeah, yeah, she yeah, probably yeah.
2: would have. Yeah. Um, but she did, uh, you know, she brought all that um, European style in mm-hmm. her clothes, so she was making versions of Aussie Clark's designs. For example, she found um, a whole huge amount, I'm not sure how much really, of um, the kind of moss crepe that they were using in their designs. They were making sort of not replicas but versions of 1930s style dresses um, in this kind of Mm -hmm. crepe which just hung beautifully. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she found this in an old drapery in Sydenham um, in a in a corner, she said, "You know, so that was fantastic for her." Um, and she she got t-shirts from Lane Walker, Rudkin, and tie dyed them and made velvet trousers with Pat. You know, she was just doing all those things that young people craved mm. at the time.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And and it's before. So New Zealand was a great. Nation of home sewers, Mm, wasn't it? Really, until the mid because I remember my first store bought dress.
1: Really, yeah, Mm.
0: which was when I was a teenager.
1: Really, my mother made all my clothes. clothes, Yeah,
2: so I I um, made all my clothes. Yeah, so
0: she she's sort of arriving at a bit of a, and there were very strict import controls Mm, over mm. clothing to protect New Zealand manufacturers.
1: Okay, right.
0: So um, that meant that manufacturing here could flourish until the 80s, really. The 80s, yes. Yeah.
2: Those tariffs weren't lifted until yeah, we're, then. Yeah, mm-hmm. so
0: she's in that moment mm-hmm. where um, a slight shift to store-bought and more accessible, I mm-hmm. guess, because they weren't high-end mm-hmm. fabrics, were they? Yeah, or exactly. They? And, yeah. Well, and
2: she was making um, quite a good markup, but you know not selling them at a, such a high price that young people couldn't afford them. them yeah um so i think she was doing quite well mm. and through the 70s i think she that continued once you get into the 1980s of course that it changes a bit because you've got the whole yuppie um mm. movement and um people wanting sort of business dress and she moved with the market basically she okay. she got into um even in the 70s actually she she got bigger workroom employing more people um,
0: and a more upmarket a, store was yes,
2: it a more upmarket store yeah. um and yeah. then you know we moved into um the kind of power dressing um of the 1980s Along with the other designers in New Zealand who were doing the same thing, except Mm. I think Rosaria's designs were always, to my eye anyway, rather more interesting than some of the others.
1: Mm. And was she just? Did she just design clothes, a female clothes, or did she? Uh, Mostly, she did,
2: but she did in the seventies make jeans for men as well. Okay, Um, she designed them, and actually, um, Paul Dine of Dine's Jeans made them um uh to her designs yeah mm. but because the record shop was always part of the um whatever boutique she had in the 70s anyway yeah um there were it, men there were men around and so yeah. she was designing mm. for them as well and they were buying the tie-dyed t-shirts and the skinny yeah. rooms as well Perfect, yeah. Yeah. and you
0: re- reminded me about jeans you know my yeah. mother thought that jeans were terrible for women yeah. to wear. because The devil's are, it's clothes. Well,
2: yeah.
0: All right, should have been on so the side. Cider at the back. Oh, cr- mm. Wow. So, you know, wearing jeans was an act of rebellion mm. in itself.
2: Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When I did home science in the nineteen early 1970s, jeans were banned.
1: I within, never knew that. I within the home science. because you're jeans. so young. Well, yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> you never knew that. That's yeah. so
0: interesting. Yeah. So mm. I guess the kind of shop it was was revolutionary too—that combination mm. of music and clothing.
2: Yes, wasn't yes, it? I think yeah, yeah, and that was one of the things that I think attracted so many young, young people, people to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she said that you know, for instance, that there would be still people there at eleven o'clock on a Friday night. Yeah, you couldn't get of, them out the door. Yeah, it sort of became yeah. A, yeah. a hangout. Mm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, do you think that that? period of the 70s and 80s was uh, an important one. I mean, we talked about um, Flora McKenzie, but that mm. was a very high-end, mm. yeah. she was catering to a very high-end mm. market, mm. whereas what Rosaria is doing is to these young people. Mm. So is she one of those ones who encourages other young people to have a go at fashion in these boutiques, or do you think that was happening independently? Uh,
2: well i think I think that there was i mean she would have been I think, yeah but well and her example would have been even if she wasn't doing it personally, she yeah. certainly hired people um you know, and grew her staff um, she yeah i think I think there definitely were more young people coming in and seeing that they could do things i think what what is happening though is because of the way fashion is shifting towards young people, mm-hmm. it isn't now the trickling down of fashion from London and Paris and mm. whatever. You mm. know, there was a, a debate in the fashion press at the time about whether couture was actually dying um, because right. of that shift. I mean, it was a seismic shift in a way all mm-hmm. around the Western world um, that that, oh, yeah. no, that I, fashion it's, it's was growing from yeah. the streets yeah, as, and then, rather than... And-
0: and then China and yeah. Vietnam yes. and all these, yeah. Yeah. you know, the cheap yeah. mass-produced yeah. are absolutely yeah. Yeah. catering to that young market, yes. aren't they? exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of yeah. an interesting
2: mm. period of cusp, mm. isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm. And um, because it's growing, it, it's sort of bubbling up, as it were, from the streets, um, there's much more variety. That's the other thing that happens. You know, mm. in the 60s with the miniskirt, mm. you know, Everybody, in inverted commas, because it wasn't quite, mm. followed that kind of fashion slavishly. You know, when you look mm, yeah. back at pictures, mm. you see all ages and stages wearing mini skirts, mm. even if they shouldn't have, perhaps. <laughs> 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 but but the 70s brought a huge sort of broadening of what was fashionable. You know, it wasn't just one style. Okay. or
0: Yeah. Well, that's been mm. so fascinating. And now Absolutely. we've learned a lot about hidden subjects of history that we think uh, are well worth repeating. Thank you Jane. Thank you.